Dr. Doreen Grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and look who I have here with me, uh, Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Uh, she's out in the field right now, so uh, coming to us from a different location. Dr. Grampichet, good morning. Oh, and we've got her already frozen. That's okay. We're going to get her at some point because she's out in the field. So we're going to take a second and, and get her. But while we're waiting for her to come back, welcome, 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 you guys. We are live right now. That's why things like that can happen where she is frozen. Uh, but we are live. Today is the 13th of October, 2021. We're going to be live for the next hour, taking your questions, your concerns, your thoughts, whatever it is that you want to write into us. I mentioned that we're live. We're live in a lot of different places right now. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, good, good afternoon, Judy. Uh, I started to say good morning, but it, clearly it's afternoon where you are. Uh, we are live on about 14 other sites. So wherever you're watching us, I hope that you will interact. Now, if you're watching us on any of the big platforms, write in directly on the platform that you're on, on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, any of those platforms. You can write directly into the chat, and it it we're on a platform that puts it all together. Good afternoon, Parker. So thrilled that you guys are all here with us. So then we can interact with you like that. We also, we love to say hello, and we love to know where you are. We've got Dr. Grampichet uh, joining us back again. There she is looking lovely. Dr. Grampichet, for those of you who don't know, uh, she looks a little frozen again. She is a true expert in the field of autism, having worked in this field for over, are you ready for this? Over 40 years. 40. 4-0, not 14, 40. She looks like she's 14. Uh, can you imagine? Uh, and she's worked with individuals all over the spectrum from very young children up through senior citizens and also helped their families to be productive for those whole individuals. So we absolutely adore her. She joins us on Wednesday mornings whenever she can, whenever the internet allows. And the internet is being very touchy this morning, uh, this afternoon, wherever you are. Hello, Ava. But uh, she's here to answer your questions. So for the next hour, we're going to be here with her asking questions whenever the internet will allow us to. Uh, we're going to be patient with the, with the internet. I want to remind all of you that this show is live right now, but it's a po podcast also. It will be available to you as a free wherever you get your podcasts about like probably this afternoon. So if you miss something and you want to go back, feel free to watch that on any of the places, download it wherever you get your podcast. Deborah says, good afternoon. I'm watching from Facebook and live in Erie, PA, and I have a teen with autism. I love Erie. Can I tell you that one of my favorite movies ever uh, this will tell you a lot about me is um, that thing you do, which is set very close to Erie PA. And they always talk about Erie and how exciting it is to go to Erie. Uh, and I grew up in upstate New York. So uh, we we visited Erie and I, I, I can remember making a diorama that was the Erie Canal. Uh, so Erie has a very fond place in my heart. So thrilled that you are here, Deborah. So glad that you are um, identifying as having a teen on the spectrum. How super fun is that, right? Because having a teen period <laughs> is super fun, right? I hope, uh, oh, it's, I'll bet it's beautiful there. She said it's beautiful here. You got to be close to peak color. And <clears throat> for those of you who have not experienced fall colors in the Northeast, I was just talking with a friend who's actually from Philadelphia. And uh, we were we were talking about another friend who's who's headed back to the East Coast, and we were saying how chartreuse with envy we are, because she's going to be there during fall color, and that if you've not been in the the Northeast for peak color ever, you can't explain it to other people. You just you can't explain it. It's the most incredible thing. Uh, we're saying hello to Sarah too. Now I see that we got Dr. Grimshaw back. We do, but Shannon, I'm worried that we might disconnect again. In which case, I suggest you call me on your cell so okay. I can actually answer on speaker. But let's keep oh, going until. Sorry. Okay. Hopefully that won't happen. 
<laughs> All right. So I was just saying that Dr. Grant Pichet is here. She's going to answer your questions, but we do have to give the disclaimer that she cannot answer questions um, in a specific nature about a specific individual. That would be a disservice to that individual. She doesn't have eyes on the situation. You would want to take them to the your them or yourself to the expert who is local uh, and get you know, eyes on the situation. However, we all know what a great mind Dr. Grant Pichet has and that she can answer questions and lead us to better questions. So I want to get to a question that came in at the end of yesterday's show. Actually, Shazal Sajal just wrote in, and I'm going to go with that one first. Uh, how to improve teeth grinding in sleep? And then we'll get to the one from yesterday. That's a pretty tough one, Sajal, but, you know, and uh, when someone is asleep, it's very difficult to control those types of things. I do recommend that you immediately uh, talk to a dentist and get a mouth guard because, uh, you know, teeth grinding is very common. It's not exclusive to ASD. A lot of people struggle with that. And if you can talk to a dentist and get a mouth guard, then... Uh, two things will happen. One is that obviously at least the individual will not be uh, grinding down their teeth overnight. And the second thing is that if the, you know they don't get much stimulation, it's, it's almost impossible to grind your teeth when you're wearing a mouth guard. In fact, what happens unfortunately is the mouth guard breaks. Um, so I, I would recommend you start there. It is somewhat preventive as well. And if it is a habit, then, then the mouth guard will definitely help uh, eliminate that habit. Wonderful. Uh, I love that. So we had a pretty lengthy question that came in at the end of the show yesterday. Um, I, I'm going to condense it down for all of us that there uh, is a grandma who has a wonderful grandma who has written in. Uh, she's got three uh, grandsons on the spectrum that are receiving therapy. Um, but one in particular is having a really tough time, has gone back to school and has been sent home repeatedly because he acts out in the classroom. And then they call dad and say, dad, you got to come and get him. And then they take him home. Now, yesterday we talked about how completely backwards that is for schools to do that because we don't know why he's acting out, but if he's acting out to get away from school and because he wants a break, then all they're doing is making sure that he does it more. So we talked a little bit about that, but she's written in a pretty lengthy thing here saying that he gets to see a therapist once every three weeks. And that she says that they're they the part of the reason why is because the the people who are seeing him don't have enough staff, and that only the more important cases get more frequent therapy, and and I just am sending a hug for that because like first of all when we're talking about kids there is no more important case I'm everybody's important but. Um, to get therapy once every three weeks. And she says, isn't when we're at the point where he's throwing things and acting out in class, isn't that more important? So, uh, and it seems like when dad works with him that we can, we can get somewhere, but the mental health system in Arizona is not being very conducive, saying that, that he has ADHD, not autism. Um, so she's got an uphill battle. What would you recommend for this grandmom who really wants to be helpful with this kiddo? Yeah, that's, it's really nice that you were so involved. Um, what a lucky grandson uh, you have. I would say a few different things. Shannon, uh, the point you made initially about kind of, you know, if the child wants to get out, we're basically fulfilling that wish by... Uh, so I just want to kind of elaborate on that a little bit because... Uh, essentially, all uh, a, a tantrum or challenging behaviors are more or less a form of communication. And if you think about it, if the child is tantruming and then being taken out, uh, he's being rewarded for tantruming um, or, you know, throwing things around and so on. And so that form of communication becomes quite effective for him or in his mind, he's thinking, this is great. 
Um, I throw a tantrum, I throw some chairs around and they'll come and take me home, which is his pro probably his preferred environment. So I, I would, you know, it's easy for us to say the first thing you need to do is make sure the school does not remove him from the classroom every single time he has a tantrum. But the problem is this behavior is now ingrained and it is very difficult for schools to handle children when they throw a tantrum because the, he's in a classroom and it's probably very quite disruptive to other children. So uh, in order for that to happen, uh, you need to probably call an IEP and have the school district provide additional resources. You know, having contact with a professional once every couple of weeks or three weeks is absolutely not enough. And uh, you need to push, uh, or the parents or guardians, if you are the guardian, you need to push a lot. And I, I need resources. This is not okay. And it really is important to push now because what happens, unfortunately, with a lot of schools is that they let these behaviors continue to a point where it becomes very drastic. And then before you know it, they'll say, oh, this is not an appropriate placement for the child and let's put him in a more restrictive placement. And that's not what we want here. We want them to give you the appropriate resources to be able to handle things before they get out of control. Now, if once we have the appropriate resources in place, the main thing for this child is to be able to communicate uh, without having challenging behavior. So in other words, it would be important to figure out why it is that he's gotten into the habit of wanting to get out of the classroom. What else is going on there? What's the function of this behavior? Is he somehow disturbed? Um, is he just trying to get out of demands that are placed on him from the teacher? Uh, are these demands too difficult? Does he need what we call antecedent modification, which means kind of before the behavior happens, how do we modify his environment and give him maybe a little bit more structure, a little bit more help so that there is no need for him to throw a tantrum to get whatever it is he's trying to get. So the ideal situation is to get a lot more support. Um, so a person in the classroom with him the entire time. So kind of a one-to-one -one aide who is trained. And then also to have uh, a lot of reinforcers, like what we call non-contingent reinforcement, so that he would be receiving reinforcement every, let's say, 10 minutes for just sitting nicely. So what you're doing is you're rewarding really, really good behavior and you're rewarding it very frequently. And you're also probably want to reduce the level of difficulty of the demands. In other words, you're making it very pleasant to be in the classroom. Easy demands, lots of reward, someone there to help him, all of that so that he doesn't have a need to tantrum or try to get away. And if he does tantrum and try to get away, he is not taken out of the classroom. Uh, if that is too disruptive, maybe the solution is that he's taken to another empty classroom where he needs to continue working. Because the bottom line is he cannot be rewarded for th those types of outbreaks, but he must be rewarded when he's behaving well. And that's kind of a, it's difficult to make it happen with schools, but if you can uh, work on that, I, I would start by calling an IEP and asking for additional resources. Wonderful. And and I read up a little bit more, Dr. Grampichet, um, the school identified him, it sounds like through child find as being someone who's likely on the spectrum, but when she took him to an outside the state medical health clinic, they said that he qualified for ADHD, not autism, for the single reason that kids on the spectrum don't um, fantasize in their play. And she puts in parentheses, pretend. Um, it sounds like to me, maybe she needs to go to somebody else. Am I right here? Yeah, I would definitely get a second opinion on the diagnosis. Uh, a lot of kids on the spectrum have pretend play. Let's just start there. 
uh, it's a very big spectrum. So you have different levels of, of functioning. And, and I would even venture to say, Shannon, that the, the children who are very severely affected by autism, we don't know if they have pretend play or not because it's very difficult for them to communicate it. It is entirely possible that they also have fantasy or imagination. They just can't communicate it to us. But in any case, there are children on the spectrum who are less affected and they definitely have pretend play and, and a fantasy world. Now, uh, that being said, it is also possible to have dual diagnosis now of autism and ADHD. Um, and so that's also a possibility. And the third issue is that even if it is ADHD, uh, it should be easier to deal with and they should still be providing you with resources. So those are all very important things. And it starts with getting a, a, a diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. And, but I think based on what you said, um, that uh, the, the school said he, he should have an IEP. The school should be willing to do an IEP because they identified him. And as Dr. Grant Fichet said, uh, call that IEP meeting. There is an example in what they wrote that dad went to school with him for a couple of days. And the teacher said, gosh, it would be wonderful if you could come back because dad kept redirecting him. What, what dad did was prove that a one-on-one -on -one aid would make him successful. So yippee, now you go back to the school and use that as an example and go, he did this much better when he had a one-on-one -on -one aid. We provided it, now you have to provide it. That's um, right. And dad does not need to go to school and do this. The school no. is obligated to provide this resource. And as Shannon said, yeah, dad being successful is further proof that this actually works. Yep. Yeah, I love that they said, can dad come all the time? And grandma yeah. was like, no. I know, what a, what <laughs> a suggestion. Uh, Sarah has written it and said, Dr. Doreen, my twin boys have improved so much over the past six months, thanks to in-home ABA. They're, they're talking so much more and getting they're getting their VB map assessment this week excited and nervous. Want to know how to reduce scripting. At the moment, I model a lot. I would ask them a question and answer for them and they would learn. For example, I would say, what did you have for breakfast? And then she would uh, answer for them and say, I had scrambled eggs. And she wants to know, is this the right way to go about it? Well, I would, so scripting, so first of all, congratulations. And I love to hear good news. So thank you for sharing that and telling us that your boys are doing well on, on with ABA. That's fabulous. I'm very, very happy about that. Um, what I want to suggest is, you know, scripting has to do with kind of this, uh, it, it, I, it, I connect it all to back to symptoms of, of ASD, which are that, you know, individuals on the spectrum generally are like to be a little rigid and what we call rule governed. So um, they don't actually, uh, they don't. Uh, like to have like a gray area or choose uh, things that are not very clear. They tend to be very black and white and scripting is part of that, right? So in other words, uh, I must have a response that is exactly a certain way. And if it's slightly different, uh, it's going to be incorrect. It actually causes anxiety if it's slightly different. So I would suggest the best way to deal with this is options and helping your child learn uh, to choose between options. So for example, giving them one answer uh, might still be somewhat of a script, although you're trying to change the script probably daily. Um, but what I would do is, and it, again, it depends on your uh, child's ability. For instance, uh, can they read? If they can read, you can uh, write lots of sentences and the child will choose one of the sentences as a response. And, and definitely you want to keep doing what you did, which is open-ended questions, right? What did you have for breakfast? And then multiple choices. If they can't read, it would be good to take some photos of, let's say, you know, the, what they actually had today, but also what they had yesterday and the day before and so on, so that you now can have the child start to select things with less of a script. And then you gradually fade out the pictures 
and the child starts to respond appropriately. And what did you have for breakfast is one type of open-ended question. You can do that with multiple other things like, you know, uh, like what did you wear yesterday or what did you do in school uh, today or, you know, all or who did you play with today? You just need to have a kind of like multiple choice. You need to have pictures or if, as I said, if the child can read, uh, write out the options so that the child starts to learn to select options. Another way, and if this is true, it, it, this would pertain only if your child also has rigidity in other areas. One of the things we do is we kind of have the child uh, tell us, like for instance, you'll draw a circle and you'll say, what is this? And the child might start out with saying it's a circle. And then you'll say, what else could it be? And then they, you have to help them, prompt them to think kind of outside of the, the standard, it's just a circle. Well, it could also be a pizza. It could also be a cookie. It could also be a, a wheel, a tire on a car. It, you know, so a variety of things like that. That helps children become a little bit more flexible and generally, when they're very flexible in their thinking, scripting goes away. I'm going to tell you something really fun and fabulous that she wrote it and said that uh, her kids are two years and three months old, but they can read three letter words. Oh, I love so, that. So I that's amazing. You're doing a great job and you're getting them all caught up. we got a bunch of questions that came in all at once. Uh, I'm going to go to Shalom first. My son regressed at three. He was completely verbal, now six. He is nonverbal and dealing with, with uh, stinking, constant moving, uh, stimming, I think is what uh, the autocorrect changed it. Constant moving, not able to sit for one minute. I, um, I, can, in, I can improve his behavior. Currently, we are doing speech. Uh, we have been in biomed for an entire year, no result. And also last year for the entire year, we did ABA. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I, it is stimming. Um, and, and I, I'm, I'm sending a hug to this mom. Uh, you know, Dr. Grampuche that we talk a lot on this show about ABA and that all ABA is not created equal. I guess that would be my first question is wanting to know if it's good quality ABA. I'm not saying that, you know, that you could do a year of ABA and, and not make tremendous progress. Everybody makes it a different speed, but that worries me a year with ABA. Um, and I, and I, I guess I would want to know, is it intensive enough? Because if you're having one ABA session every three weeks, that it doesn't matter how good it is. It's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. And let's also talk a little bit about, so, I mean, you know, the solution as Shannon said is, uh, eight more ABA plus let's talk about the medical side of it, right? Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you are doing biomed and I might be wrong. I'd love you to write in please. But generally speaking, when parents refer to intervention as biomed, it tends to be more things that are like more either homeopathic or dietary change. I don't know. And you might be also doing other types of things that are dealing with immune dysfunction or gastrointestinal inflammation, all of which are good and necessary. But when you're looking at a child who has regressed and has lost speech between age three and six, I'd want to kind of look at some other things and who's extremely hyperactive right now, can't sit still and is stimming a lot. I want to look at a few different things. Um, so to begin with, uh, I would want to find out if there's a dual diagnosis of ADHD hyperactivity type. And if there is, then I would want to consider some medication for that. Uh, and that's important because it's very, very hard for children who have dual diagnosis ASD and ADHD to learn. So I would really suggest that you go see a psychologist, psychiatrist, figure out if he also has ADHD. That it just changes things a little bit and you have more knowledge and then you know what to focus on. And I think part of what you need to focus on is slowing him down. And if he slows down, uh, then you would be able to do a lot more. You'd get a lot more benefit out of the ABA. And again, as Shannon said, it would be high quality ABA that is needed. Now, 
it's, you know, there are children who have regressive ASD, which means that they were speaking and they lost speech, but usually it happens a little bit earlier. It doesn't happen. It's not often that it happens between three and six. That's a little late. So usually regression occurs around 18 months, 18 to 24 months. Um, so if his regression occurred later than that, then I kind of would want to see if there are subclinical seizures going on. I'd actually then start to do some um, brain scans and some activities. Uh, so, or maybe uh, you'd want to do a CAT scan to begin with. I'd like to find out what caused the regression. It is entirely possible that there are other things. A lot of our kids who go through regression early are reacting to foods that they're not able to break down. They have uh, possibly very severe inflammation, which is now also affecting the brain. They might have a lot of dietary restrictions. They might have uh, uh, a lot of fungal issues. We'd want to kind of make sure you're dealing with all of that stuff and, and sleep. Uh, I always go back to sleep because you want to make sure the child is kind of at their best in terms of health so that they can learn. Uh, so those are kind of some of the things I would do. If you're able to do all of those tests and make sure that the child doesn't have other issues going on, then the answer is to help get help for the hyperactivity via medication, most likely, and then to, to go back to doing a, a pretty high amount of ABA to start to teach uh, vocalization and see if you can get some of that language back. If you can't get the language back, then it becomes really important to just teach non-vocal communication because as the child ages, they're going to get pretty frustrated not being able to communicate. She gave some more information too. They've been on the gluten-free diet um, due to a food sensitivity test. Uh, and um, I just want to say yesterday we had Lisa Ackerman from TACA, the Autism Community in Action on, and they have their conference happening this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You know, if you want to know more about the biomedical end of things, I would really suggest that you go there. Now, I skipped, oh, poor April, I skipped over April's question, and I did that because, April, I love your questions so much. I just know it's going to take longer, and I thought that one would be a shorter one. Um, but she's also written in more. She wants to know more about ABA therapy versus other treatment. And she says, that, uh, she also said in response to what you just said, I disagree about meds always being needed for those who have both ADHD and autism because I have ADHD and am autistic. I'm a college student who trained myself to study eight plus hours a day without meds. And I love that, April, that's amazing. I think we have to acknowledge though that everybody is different and it sounds like you're pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and I applaud that's you. Wonderful. That's wonderful, April. And <clears throat> absolutely, ADHD, uh, Meds are not always the answer for ADHD, uh, even on its own. Uh, but when you have severe hyperactivity, there's two types of ADHD, right? Inattentive type and hyperactive type. When you have severe hyperactivity, uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm a little concerned because the child is six, and if they will fall back a lot uh, if we don't get that under control. But you're absolutely right. You can manage ADHD without medication, and a lot of parents do select that option. Uh, so should I hit April's original question, which I'm Yes, because I love this question. So we're comparing yeah. uh, ABA with other forms of treatment, but can I just say that when we talk about ABA here on the show, it's important that we acknowledge that Dr. Grampichet is talking about good quality ABA. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is very different than a lot of ABA that you see out there. And I wish that weren't the case. I wish yeah. that everybody was getting the same thing, but I think when we're talking about something, we should be clear what it is we're talking about. Definitely, definitely. So um, there are basically, uh, you know, the key elements, I guess, of um, treating autism are the way to look at it or uh, services for individuals on the spectrum. I would say there are, from my perspective, uh, kind of two uh, forms or two two types, let's put it that way. Um, and it's important to pay attention to both. 
uh, one is, and, and before I go to the actual treatments, I should say there's also a lot of stuff out there that's ineffective and, you know, people taking advantage and, uh, you know, trying to get in and do stuff that's ineffective, but, um, and just make money on it. Right. But, but I'm talking about, uh, from my perspective, it's always important, actually, whatever the issue is, whether it's ASD or something else, it's always important to look at the, the whole individual and, and look at the, what's going on with the individual's physical health. And then start talking about once we get those things kind of and mental health, honestly, and try to get those things stabilized. And then there's ABA, which has to do with kind of teaching, right? And helping the individual catch up and and integrate and focus on things that are important in their environment. So let's first talk about the underlying health because there's a lot of different things you have to pay attention there. Um, with the underlying health, so, so these are other treatments as you were reading with a lot of our, or hearing with a lot of our viewers, we're talking about everything, you know, a lot of children on the spectrum of autism have issues with toxicity. So they have a slower redox cycle. and. So it becomes very important for us to make sure that they are not in environments that can increase that toxicity because they are not detoxifying as fast as they should. Let's put it that way. And so along with that goes things like uh, diets, diets that are important for them. For instance, a lot of people look at reducing sugar in the child's environment, eliminating uh, food colorings that the child is not able to process. Those types of things tend to have a big effect on behavior uh, and, and on sleep. And sleep is one of those very, very important kind of secondary factors that need to be taken about, thought about, because, you know, obviously it becomes very difficult to function if you're not sleeping well. Right. So that those are all important things. Now, due to a variety of reasons, uh, there's also often inflammation in the gastrointestinal tract and the inflammation can be uh, causing GI pain, you know, um, constipation, diarrhea could be so severe that it is also causing kind of brain fog and or other types of mental issues as well or processing attention issues as well. So that's why a lot of families also look at these biomedical interventions uh, that are aimed at trying to help reduce some of the GI problems, whether they be things like bloating and or pain or uh, you know, more severe, like uh, irritable bowel and those types of things. Uh, and that, of course, will lead to uh, both a level of comfort for the child, better sleep. Yes, uh, uh, small intestine bacterial overgrowth is a big one, um, and which is SIBO. Um, and those are types of things that a lot of our children struggle with, and it's extremely important to take care of those things. Now, taking care of those things will have two effects. One is that, of course, it will help the child feel better as a whole, sleep better, et cetera. The other is that in some cases, uh, you know, the, the problems with digestion cause the, the, you know, we break down our various types of proteins like gluten and casein. If we're not breaking them down properly, then they are uh, for, they're broken down to peptide. And a lot of times, and these peptides will leak through the gut lining into the bloodstream to through the uh, blood brain barrier and will actually cause our children to be a little bit more foggy in their thinking maybe slower not able to attend uh, kind of zoned out as a lot of parents tell me that so those things are very important to take care of so the child's health is stabilized then we're talking about aba and aba uh, and then there are other peripheral external types of interventions like speech therapy and occupational therapy, which are also useful to children. ABA, though, is what I consider to be the primary kind of uh, the most important type of intervention for any given child, to be honest. And it is therefore approved by the FDA. It is approved by the Surgeon General. It is uh, funded by health insurance. 
And ABA, what is it? It's very simple. Uh, it's based on a behavioral part of psychology or behavioral uh, therapy that says uh, any behavior that is followed by a reward will increase. And if it is not followed by a reward, it will decrease. So what does that mean for autism? You take the symptoms. Now we're talking about be just overt symptoms of autism. And there are certain things that are excessive, too much. And there are certain things that are not that are deficient. There's just not enough of them, right? So you look at the ones that are excessive. So those are things like aggression, tantrums, um, you know, running away behavior, uh, biting, stimming, challenging behaviors. And you want to make sure that those behaviors, when they occur, are not rewarded in any way. That means they don't receive attention, they don't receive a reduction of of demands placed. Uh, and essentially, they are ignored. Um, yet the child is taught skills that are deficient. So, for instance, if the child or individual is not able to communicate, then you want to be working on rewarding, teaching, modeling, shaping speech, communication, language, uh, and all the other areas that are generally lacking in, with a diagnosis of autism. So, things like teaching the individual social skills and how to interact appropriately with others. Um, and, and the skills are across the board, right? They can be everything and anything. So adaptive skills, academic skills, whatever. Every child is different, as Shannon said. And so it becomes extremely important to identify what that particular child needs, right? Some children are older and really, it's more important to teach them safety skills, uh, maybe uh, adaptive skills so they can take care of themselves. Some children are younger and we're trying to teach them language so they can communicate and or academic skills so they can integrate to school. Uh, it, the, the scenario and situation and program content for every child will be based on their own needs. Right, and but the top the the techniques of ABA are are just a handful of techniques that are used to teach, and uh, so you know that's really good high quality ABA will give you kind of um, a, a, a decent amount of of work so that you're able to catch up and and integrate with school integrate with your peers. Um, and it will be good quality, tr well-trained people who know how to do use the techniques. And then you always want to have a board-certified behavior analyst, the BCBA, who's in charge, who's kind of overseeing the program and making sure that uh, the techniques are being used properly, uh, the programming is, is appropriate to the child. There's a high level of reward, so the overall program is fun. Um, you are being generalized to the community, so everything you learn is being used in the community and so on and so forth. So uh, um, April has written in something that I think leads to a really important part of understanding good quality ABA. Um, because I think a lot of times, Dr. Grampichet, people see ABA done with very little kids. And, it, and it's this very reward system that seems very contrived. Um, and so, and they don't understand how that morphs and changes when you're working with somebody who's older that what it looks like with a teenager is not what it looks like with a three-year-old and what it work, looks like with a 33-year-old is not what it looks like with a teenager, plus which it looks different for every individual. But she says, uh, why, can't, uh, why can't they just teach us the logic from our perspective uh, to integrate it properly? If explained logically, it could help, I imagine. That's way less uh, reward technique that needs to be done to teach us. Um, because I think everybody thinks that that reward thing looks so weird. And, and we don't realize what it looks like in our adult lives because we're all on a reward system in our adult lives. You've explained that before. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Shannon, we are like, if you go to work, you're on a reward system because you're trying to earn money and money is tokens. It's a token yes. economy. The only reason we, we go to work to get money is so that we can use that token to buy everything else we want. It's a token economy. Uh, if you're in college, as April is, uh, you are based on a reward system, which is you are getting 
specific grades so that you can go to the next level. And perhaps you're doing that because it is important for you personally or for someone that matters to you um, or just because you love the topic and you want to learn more about it. Everything is based on reward. And, um, you know, I love the concept of uh, trying to explain it from a logical perspective and again, April, it, it, there are some individuals who are very good at understanding that and they are able to apply. In fact, I've been amazed with some of my patients where their brain is so, I mean, I, I'll just say like incredibly advanced in areas of logic that they can actually, uh, you know, reason it out. In fact, some of my kids who have recovered, who are adults, I will say, a large portion of that is because they figured out that there's logic behind what is expected of me, and that's how I'm going to choose to behave. Uh, but for others, they're not so strong in the logical area, and uh, you know, it turns it, it becomes very uh, possible for them only to learn if there is a reward system that's made a little bit more obvious. Now, you're right, in the beginning with young children, it does look a little weird. I just read that she wrote, it looks a little weird. But good ABA over time, all of that reward system that looks weird changes. And it, this is why I said one of the things when I was explaining ABA was the successful good ABA has to have a component that has to do with generalizing to real life. If you don't generalize to real life, and that's in many different ways, April, if you don't do that, it'll just not work and it'll continue to look weird. But it'll, aside from looking weird, it'll be weird because the world does not always. So, like, I'll give you an example. When you start out, you might actually give the child a small portion of a cookie every time they respond to something, right? That is not a reward system that's going to work in real life. It just doesn't exist. And if we were to implement it over the course of an adult's or an individual's life, it just would be weird and it wouldn't uh, maintain, right? It just is not going to work. Uh, so over time, what happens is even if you start out with a what we call a primary reinforcer, like a food item, at, and it's continual reinforcement. That means every single trial that they get correct is rewarded. Gradually, what happens is as they begin to master any given skill, you drop the reward system in two ways. You go to what's called an intermittent schedule of reinforcement. So you do not reward every single time. You're no longer doing continual reinforcement. You're now doing what's called a variable ratio or a variable interval. These are all very technical parts of good ABA, but you reward intermittently, which is much more like the real world, right? And you change the type of reward so that it is something that the individual receives in their real world. So you may no longer give a cookie. You're now going to change it to social praise from a teacher. And these are many, many things. It takes a long time and it takes multiple steps to do this correctly so that the behavior continues and so that the individual continues to be motivated. Here's the thing that I think about ABA. If, if we compared ABA to dance, and if all we ever saw from, from dance was the very first day that people went into the dance room and they said, okay, we put some uh, footprints on the floor and now we're gonna count to three and you're gonna put your foot here, here, here. That is one, two, three, and we go, yay, it's just fabulous. It's, if that's all we ever saw from dance, if we never saw how that went from, now we're going to do it faster and we're going to syncopate it, and now we're going to add music to it, now you're going backwards with your partner, now you're having fun and you're being expressive and you're using your whole body, now you're dancing with a group of people, and now we're performing. If we never saw any of that and that's all we ever saw, of any dance anywhere is lesson one, we would all go, I don't know about that. We would all be like, mm, that's boring. It's not normal. It's not joyful. It's not happy. What it, why, none of us would dance if that's all we ever saw. And that is the problem with ABA is that we focus a lot on lessons one through 10. And, we, and I personally want, that's part of my mission now is to show the dance that ends up happening from ABA that I see how my son is now. And he went through five years of intensive ABA 
And, and, and now I get to see him dance in his life and do things and have moments that just come to him normally. So it's hard. It's hard to picture it because the world has not shown you enough examples of what it looks like when it gets to the point where they have it. But we're going to try to do a better job here on the Autism Network of showing you guys. Uh, but I'm a big fan. Every day, every time I see my son do something and I go, oh, I remember when we planted the seed and he and we had to say, good job for the seed. And now he just does it and he's rewarded by it himself. So I get excited. I've got to move on to Parker's question. Our beloved Parker has written in, and I hope that uh, we do have Dr. Grampy Shea there. We're just, uh, we're fixing the internet a little bit. But Parker wrote it in and said, I'm asking yeah. a question I never wanted to ask. I am friends with a guy with moderate to severe autism. He turned 27 in January. It's a th uh, three questions in one, so bear with me. This guy is 27 and he is semi-banned from the pool where he lives and I'll tell you the reason. One is flirting with underage lifeguards. He does not know boundaries at all and I'm afraid something will happen uh, like an arrest or an angry dad or another relative beating him up for it. The second reason is that his special interest happens to be lifeguards and lifeguarding. His diagnosis means that he can't pass the test to apply at the pool uh, that he's semi-banned from, but he wears lifeguard trunks, lifeguard shirts, and other lifeguard-related stuff, and it's confusing to the people at the pool. He lives in an assisted living apartment and the caregivers don't watch over him. And, th and that is the worst problem at all. He says, what am I as a friend supposed to do? Should I scare him straight? Should I take him on a trip to the local jail? I've known this guy for a long time and I'm very concerned. Please help me. We love you, Parker. Parker, you're amazing. Honestly, I love that you are you watch our show and, and you're just amazing. Um, I, I, I don't think that scaring him is going to have an effect. I think that it's too difficult for him to connect the dots between, I don't think he's even aware that what he's doing is wrong. Um, and then also I think that, it, you know, a, a kind of a punishment like going to jail, which is a very distant punishment is not going to have a significant effect on his behavior even if he knew that his behavior like if even if he understood that his behavior is incorrect right so or wrong so i don't i think that we put that away for a minute and i think that you do a couple of things maybe right away uh which is first of all you let the lifeguards who are there the actual lifeguards know uh, with his permission, of course, that he has a diagnosis of autism and that he is uh, moderately to severely affected and that he does not understand uh, boundaries. So I think all the information you gave us is very important for them to know um, because they will be able to understand what's going on a little bit better and maybe it will give a little bit more time so that he doesn't get into trouble with them, right? And I think any other authority figure who is there, often I tell parents to, to even let the local police station know what's going on. So I don't know the circumstances with his assisted living facility, but ideally this is all their responsibility. And I know you're doing this because you, you have a caring heart and this is someone you care about. Um, but this is really stuff that the assisted living facility should be dealing with. So one of the things I would suggest is that you try to find an authority at the assisted living facility and um, or talk to his parents, and whoever his guardians are, and have them insist that he should not go to the pool without uh, someone being with him who can assist him, who can protect him from the situation that he might be getting himself into, because you're absolutely right. He might um, cross a line and a dad or someone else gets upset with him. He might 
you know, uh, someone might mistake him for a lifeguard. You want to make sure, by the way, that if he's wearing lifeguard attire, that it be different or that there be some additional uh, maybe letters or, or something written on what, whatever it is he's wearing um, that indicates he's not the lifeguard for this particular area. Um, these are a lot of things to, to deal with, Parker. I would really try to start by getting help from the assisted living facility. I wouldn't take it on myself as a friend, even if it was me, because sometimes, you know, the boundaries, like we're, uh, uh, as a friend, you're there to kind of help and assist, but you can't really treat him. And he needs treatment. He needs uh, therapeutic support. And the assisted living facility is supposed to be providing that for him. And if they're not, there needs to be some repercussion for them to be dealing with this more appropriately. So the best you can do is perhaps have a communication with the assisted living authorities and the lifeguards and maybe get them together so they can develop a behavior intervention plan for your friend. There we go. Wonderful advice. And thank you, Parker. We do. We just adore you. A um, couple of last questions I'm going to squeeze in here. Sarah wants to know if I've lost weight that I look fresh. <laughs> I love that. I, I deliberately put on a spring shirt today because it was so cold here. Uh, but Sarah, yes, thank you. I'm down 48 pounds. Woo! Um, oh, wow. I just have another awesome. 48 to go, but that's okay. <laughs> Where am I going? Uh, my doctor's over the moon. So thank you for noticing. It's hard work. Uh, Mary Ellen wants to know, my daughter was diagnosed with autism. She also has bipolar, ADHD, ODD, and reactive attachment disorder. She's 13 years old, and I'm having a hard time finding a BA for her. I started her on brain mapping and found out she had a concussion at some time. Do you think this will help her with her behavioral problems? And she's in Arizona. Oh, goodness. So I, it's, something is going on where there, one of these, one or two of these diagnoses is causing symptoms that are being diagnosed, all the other ones. You, it's, it's very, very unlikely that you have ASD, ADHD, bipolar, ODD and reactive attachment disorder. So there, the, you know, you, the, the individual might be showing symptoms of all of these, but there's something that's the, the originating kind of, uh, of, of cause of it. Um, Shannon, was that written by Mary Ellen? Is that who we're responding to right now? Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. So I see that you just uh, wrote that she had opiates in her system um, and she was adopted. So uh, opiates, uh, and I don't know how long ago that was, and I don't know how that, and you mentioned that she also had some sort of traumatic brain injury. She's 13. She's 13 um, now. I just don't know when yeah. it was that she was adopted or when we knew that she had opiates in her system. It yeah. is entirely possible that there was delayed uh, development if she had if she was exposed to opiates at a very young age. So there would be delays in development. And if there was severe, if there was traumatic brain injury, then yeah, you're definitely going to be looking at, I mean, several of the symptoms of autism, especially having anything to do with the executive functions are very similar to traumatic brain injury. So uh, it is possible that some of the injury that occurred might be causing some of these things. The opiates could be resulting in the reactive attachment disorder issues, and as I said, ODD, you know, oppositional defiant behavior is so much a part of when we cannot communicate. So a lot of times you'll have children who are, who have ASD, just autism, and they can't communicate and they become so frustrated that they have extreme challenging behaviors. And if someone was to see them at that moment in time, they would say, oh, you have ODD. 
but really autism is a much more pervasive disorder and you really it's it's kind of like saying um you have a bronchial cold when you really have pneumonia so you have something that is more pervasive like asd and the individual can't communicate verbally and they've learned to have these tantrums and aggressive behaviors, that's the only way it works for them in terms of communication. And then that's called oppositional defiant disorder. I don't really think that ODD uh, should be diagnosed when you have a more pervasive diagnosis of ASD, because a lot of times ASD can lead to oppositional defined types of behavior. And as we already talked about, it is possible to have like symptoms of inattention and hyperactivity and a lot of the symptoms of ADHD together with ADD, with ASD. But the one that I'm having a real hard time with is bipolar disorder. Now, bipolar disorder is a completely different thing we're talking about. And when you have bipolar issues, then you see this is now we're talking about very, very serious disorder uh, where you have bouts of uh, mania and depression, and that should be treated with medication. OK, uh, there are therapies as well that absolutely whenever we talk about medication, it's always very important to have therapeutic help as well. But bipolar is a very, very serious illness and uh, it, it has nothing to do with these other ones that we talked about. It, it really ha has to do with very severe um, manic and depressive episodes. And we have bipolar one, and we have bipolar two, we have different types. So it's important to kind of deal with that one with someone who specializes with uh, bipolar and that you want to make sure the individual is receiving medical help for the bipolar portion. And with all the other stuff, of course, as we've talked about already, you should be working on, uh, you know, getting behavioral health treatments for the child. Um, and so it's just a, a lot to deal with, a lot to deal with. And I saw Mary Ellen that you had written uh, your age. And so it's, it's kind of a lot to be dealing with at this point. Uh, and, you know, coupled with that, we're talking about a teenager here. So I would honestly start probably by seeing a psychiatrist who specializes in bipolar. I would want to try to get the bipolar stuff under control. Um, and then uh, I would really work on getting an ABA program uh, for the individual so that you could start getting some of the challenging behaviors, the ODD under control. And once you have the oppositional stuff under control and the manic behavior perhaps under control, uh, then you can actually start teaching. And that's when things start to really kick off because you start to teach skills and the more skills the individual has, you know, the happier they are, the more satisfied they are and they, they start to live a better life overall. All right, we only have 10 seconds, but uh, Poker King has written in and said that he drinks, he likes, he's working now and, and loving his job, but he likes to drink Coke Zero on his job. And his job coach is telling him that's not a good plan. Um, he's wanting to know if it's okay. My question would be how much Coke Zero? Because I, I have a very beloved brother who can drink two cases of Coke Zero in a day. That is not good. Yeah. Uh, and we tell him all the time that is that is that is crossed over. Uh, anything you want to say, Dr. Grampuche? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think you know one of the things my dad taught me was everything in moderation. So I think you should probably, depending on how much Coke Zero you're drinking, I don't think there's a big deal. I know I have like three Coke Zero cans a day, and that's okay. So I think you work with your coach and start to kind of uh, moderate that a little bit and get it under control. Um, and always the way to do that is shaping. So you just gradually will reduce the amount if you are actually having an excessive amount. Okay, thank you so much. Parker, I sent you uh, so you can uh, message Vince Redmond, but I also wanna tell you when it comes to Santa Clauses, I'm a great resource. A couple of years ago, I was brought in to help train the Santas at Disneyland. So Parker, reach out. Um, there you go. Uh, okay, we've got to go, you guys. We've got to let Dr. Grampy Shea go. Thank you so much, Dr. Grampy Shea. 
You guys don't forget on tomorrow's show, Kobe Bird live. He is the young actor that is featured on the hit Netflix show, Lock and Key. Season two comes out next week. Um, Kobe's going to be with us live. You can ask him questions live. He is delicious. Uh, so you won't want to miss that. On Friday, we're having Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. And we're talking about some research topics. And in the news, don't forget, a week from Friday, Dr. Temple Grandin live. You have to send your questions in now. I know you guys always want to ask questions live. She prefers it if we get the questions beforehand. So send those to me now. Dr. Yes? And real quickly, Shannon, um, yeah. for our viewers, I believe I will be doing uh, the doctor's show this coming weekend where we will be talking about stem cell therapies for um, ASD. Wonderful. So keep an eye out. So we think that's on Saturday, correct? Yeah, all right. Keep an eye out for that, you guys. Dr. Grampichet on the doctors. All right. Much love to all of you. We'll be back tomorrow with Kobe Bird. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you, too. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye, everyone.